This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder, president, and executive director of the Lynn Cohen Foundation and The Seam, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing researchers, doctors, scientists, female founders, entrepreneurs to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. to re-interview, interview again, uh, Jen Fisher from Deloitte. And it's pretty exciting because you have like a new title and if I dare say a, a new updated purpose at Deloitte. So let's just like jump right into it. And will you tell us about that and how that came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So my new title is U.S. Human Sustainability Leader. And for those that don't know or maybe didn't hear the previous episode, I was previously Deloitte's first ever chief well-being officer. And we talked about that on the prior episode and kind of how that came to be. And I guess maybe I'm following in my footsteps once again, um, where You know, along with many of the leaders at Deloitte, we just continue to kind of see this evolving need to really focus on and address, you know, who we are as humans, not only at work, but beyond kind of the four walls of our own organizations. And, you know, in particular with our clients and in our communities and many of, you know, of the underserved populations is a big focus area. And so I guess born out of a whole bunch of conversations and, a, you know, this new emerging area around human sustainability, which, you know, honestly, I, in many ways is still being defined, um, but is being talked about a lot more. In some ways it was born I think out of the S in ESG, which is the social component of ESG, which really focuses on, you know, the human needs and the human intersections of climate and policy, which I have a strong belief that if we don't focus more and make more investments on the S, we're going to have a really hard time reaching our stated goals and aspirations in the E and in the G, because it's going to take the humans to do all of those things. It's going to require all of us to change our behaviors in many ways, you know, but there's kind of been this lack of real focus or investment on what does that mean for the human and what are the intersections and what are honestly the systemic barriers that are creating a world of work and a world of living that I think so many of us feel like it's no longer working for us. I mean, we're working in a time or we're living in a time of pretty extreme burnout. (laughs) And if you're, you know, if you haven't experienced burnout, most people I talk to are feeling overwhelmed by just living in this world. (laughs) Um, And it's a layer cake of reasons why it's not just work. It's not just life. It's not just, I mean, there's so many things that continue to happen in our world that make it a very disrupted place to live. And, you know, even though we're always changing as humans, we're not very good at change. And so it's hard. And the uncertainty of all of that is creating you know, a lot more stress on us physically, emotionally, and mentally. Um, And so really that's kind of our focus is to look at what are the, you know, the real systemic issues and barriers in the way of people, you know, living and, and working well and in a way that is sustainable and equitable now and in the future. 
And that's a big lofty goal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so how do you break that down? How does that translate into, I mean, kind of day-to-day work and, and day-to-day for people at Deloitte or beyond? Yeah. I mean, I think we're still figuring that out. If I'm completely honest, you know, I think the foundations of that certainly is rooted in workforce well-being, right? But I think it's looking at the intersections of workforce well-being, trust and equity. And so trust in my employer, trust in my healthcare system, trust in my government, trust in my community, trust in my fellow humans, <laughs> you know, and there's kind of this eroding of trust, certainly the intersection with what's going on from a climate perspective and how that is impacting all of us. Um, and you can't have lived through this past summer and ongoing that we all continue to live through and not be experiencing some of these more extreme you know, climate related events, but also looking at things like our food system, you know, and the way that, you know, food has historically been produced in mass quantities. And, you know, we now understand the impact that that's having on our health, but also things like food deserts and food inequity, which then leads to health inequities and, you know, healthcare inequities, those types of things. So all aspects of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, which we now know is an incredibly important part of the equation um, when it comes to our workplaces, but our, also our health and well-being. So it's really kind of an intersectional, I I wouldn't say it's an umbrella. I think it's what are the intersections of all of those things and how are they impacting the workforce within an organization or within Deloitte and what can we do about it, starting with our own organization, but recognizing that as such a large organization, we have a responsibility to make sure that we're also impacting, you know, the societies in which we live and work. And so what are the exact things that we're going to do or that we need to do, that's still to be defined. And maybe that's part three of our discussion. (laughs) I think what I really want to know is, what do you do every day? Like, what do you do when you get to work? I mean, it's so important and it sounds, it's like the the heartbeat of the company, right? And it's what makes people... I feel like want to come to work and feel empowered and important and motivated to do a good job, to feel like they're respected, to feel like they're heard. So how do you do that? What do you do to make that happen? That's like everyone's goal. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what I'm doing every day now is kind of figuring out what the strategy and actions that we're going to like, so really understanding, like, what does that mean? And what are these barriers? And really what does sustainable work look like, right? And I'm calling it sustainable work because I think for many people, the ways in which we're working aren't sustainable (laughs) Um, and don't feel sustainable. And we're continuing to see a lot of these swings of, you know, everybody's going to the office, nobody's going to the office, we're somewhere in between. There's pros and cons of both, but there's not really a good answer. And there's probably not going to ever again be a one size fits all when it comes to work and the way that we're working, kind of the when, where, and how. We also know that the sentiment of the workforce in particular, and I don't really like to, you know, kind of do broad general brushes, but the the younger workforce has a much different belief about the role that work should play in their life. And I think leading organizations are going to have to 
make some changes. We're not going to make all of the changes, right? Like there's going to have to be some meeting in the middle, right? The meeting of the minds. And I do think that that is a really critical component of what's missing right now is I don't, there's still a lot of finger pointing going on. I don't think that there's a lot of very senior leaders coming together with the workforce to have these real conversations about what's wrong with work, (laughs) you know, like what isn't working and what do we need to change and what suggestions does the workforce need to have? So when I talk to senior leaders inside of Deloitte or outside is like, you know, we need to be talking to our workforces. We need to be asking them. They're the ones that are doing the work every day. And so they have a whole lot of ideas around what's not working and what needs to be changed and also how to change it, right? And that doesn't mean that you're going to do every single one of them. But I think until we start having these real and sometimes difficult and uncomfortable conversations, and that's where trust comes in. We need to get back to a place where, you know, the workforce trusts their leadership and their organizations enough to have psychological safety and to feel like they can have these real conversations and ask for what they need and not be in fear that, you know, if they do something like don't go to the office, that it's somehow going to negatively impact them. And so, you know, now I spend my days because I've been in my new role going on a little over three months now. (laughs) Um, So I do, you know, I mean, I, I spend most of my days kind of thinking through right now, like, what are these problems? What's the strategy around them? What are some of the solutions? And then I think a really important component of all of this that we haven't really figured out is how do we measure it, (laughs) right? Like how do we get data on a real time and ongoing basis to really understand what's going on with our workforce so that we can use that data to make decisions, to make maybe in some ways like predictive modeling, or to at least understand, especially when there are big societal events, how is that impacting the workforce and how can an organization intervene to provide the workforce or their communities, you know, the assistance and the support that they need to get through very difficult times. And so that it becomes a lot less reactive. Because I do think that at Deloitte and many other organizations, leaders care deeply and they're very well intended. It's just a lot of times things can be very reactive or there's not a lot of discussion going on between senior leaders and the workforce. And so there's just a misunderstanding where the workforce kind of thinks that leaders don't care, but I've yet to find a leader to that actually says to me, Jen, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean, and I think we have to remember that our leaders are humans too, right? And they might be struggling as well. And so I think we have to come to all of these opportunities, because I do think there's a lot of opportunities sitting in front of us and will continue to be, especially with AI, but we need to come to it with an open mind and honestly, even an open heart and be willing to listen and to understand and know that these are problems that didn't pop up overnight. And so we need to give ourselves time to figure them out and to put into place new ways of working, new processes, new thoughts, new behaviors. And that's going to take time because we just don't change that quickly. (laughs) You know, we've been working the same way for a hundred years. We have technology now, which you can make as many arguments for why technology is good as you can for why technology is bad. Right. And so we need to sort through a lot of things in order to get to a better answer. And what do you think that the sort of quote unquote younger generation and the younger part of the workforce 
brings to the table and the changes that they might want to make that might be combative with sort of the older generation and maybe people in the leadership roles and how we're going to work through that. It's interesting because (laughs) I feel like, you know, we say this about every generation, you know, certainly when my generation was in their 20s, there was this view that the younger generation was lazy or didn't want to work hard or we were dreamers or, you know, we just all wanted to follow our passions. Or And I feel like we kind of say the same thing with every single generation. What I will say what that I think is different now is that a lot of our younger workforce grew up, you know, unfortunately with parents that weren't present because their parents were working all hours of the day and night. (laughs) And so they were on, they've been on the receiving end of what that looks like and what that feels like. And so now that they are in the workforce and entering the workforce, they're saying, I'm not going to work that way. It doesn't mean that they're lazy or that they don't care or that they don't want to work hard. They just want to work differently and they want to work in a way that also allows them to engage and be present in things outside of their work life. And quite frankly, that shouldn't be a combative ask. That should be an ask that we all have (laughs) and that we all want, right? And so I think in many ways, they have it right. And maybe the rest of us have it wrong. And that's why I think we need to kind of come to these conversations with not just an open mind, but an open heart and kind of reevaluate. And I think the pandemic has done that in many ways for a lot of people, regardless of generation to kind of, we're all rethinking in many ways, the role that work plays in our lives. Right. And that doesn't mean that work isn't important, but for so many of like myself included, so many of us work was in, in many ways is kind of like this, you know, like how I define my value and my worth and how I define success in life is like, or was how successful I was at work. And now we know that there are so many other components that make up success in life. And so I think it's, I don't know that it's combative. I think it's just people kind of willing to think about, you know, how we work and how we get work done in a very different way. Does it need to be nine to five in an office? Does it, you know, I mean, do do those things need to be true in order for us to be a profitable and thriving organization. And those are the conversations I think that we need to have. And there was such a shift with every generation, right? So our, my grandparents, that generation, you know, got up and went to the office and were there all day and they came home and they were turned off because there was no way to communicate with their work. It stayed at work. Right. And they were in one job there pretty much their entire life. There was no job, real job change. You, you went up the ladder and and that was that maybe you had one job change, maybe two in your lifespan, but that was kind of it. And then in our generation, and then my, like to my parents' generation, I mean, there was a little job change, but not much either. And I remember there was a sense like if you went to the office on a Saturday, you know, that was kind of a big deal, you know, and then it was sort of towards the end of that, that generations, you know, now they're in their seventies, eighties, that workforce of like, you could communicate, you know, a little bit with your office and with your job life outside of work hours. But that was a major milestone change. And then in our generation, you know, this sort of now people in their forties, fifties, 
it was a huge shift because when we graduated college and started looking for a job, I mean, it was just the beginning of email (laughs) and just the beginning of the internet. And so this idea that we could, you know, you're on at all time was the beginning of that wave where you're expected to be present. You are expected to be reachable 24 seven. All the time. And that was, (laughs) you know, was such a shift. And I'll tell you that I've noticed something really interesting that's outside of the workplace that's in education, but with my children who are older, they're older teenagers and I have a child in, in college, but they expect their teachers to be reachable at all times. And mm, interesting. Have, yeah. And those, those teachers are in the workforce. They're in education. Yeah. And absolutely, in college yeah. professors and high school teachers. So some of those teachers are, they like to be reachable at all times. They, they have lives, they're married, they have children, but they like to be reachable. They do, especially post COVID. So they'll do, they're available for quick zooms or, you know, respond to emails up until 10, 11 o'clock at night. I mean, I'm dead asleep wow. and my kids are emailing. Me <laughs> you know? And, and some are not, some are not the, there's a yeah. counselor at my kid's school. Who's not, you know, three thirty, four o'clock PM. He doesn't return an email school breaks. He doesn't return an email. And he, he's like, no, that's, those are non-working hours. I'm done. You didn't reach me. You yep. didn't get to me during the time where I told you I was available. That's it. And those teachers are, it's like really frustrating for those kids. And my answer is, well, they're not working. <laughs> that's it. They're done. Right, you could have gotten right. in touch with him and sent him an email during school hours. And I think there's maybe a little bit of a shift backwards for some of those teachers or some of those people in the workforce who during COVID, during that, you know, height of that time where they were expected to be reachable at all times, have taken a step back and said, I was totally burnt out. And if I'm totally, yeah. unsustainable, I cannot keep that up. And like, there's just no chance. And I never signed up for that. And that was never part right. of my contract. I never signed up for that. And not even a work contract, like a social contract with life. It's just right. not going to happen. And who put that expectation out there to begin with? So I fully understand that as someone in the workplace and as a parent and as a woman, I think it's a whole nother yeah. level because I believe as women, we're expected to be reachable at all times for all the yeah. things that we're supposed to be reachable for. For all the things, yeah. Um, <laughs> And I believe there's no shift in that either. You know, even as we talk about it as a society, we're still the the primary contact for, you know, everything during the day that happens outside of the workplace and in the family and even an emergency contact for your parents or your friends. And it's really, it is unsustainable. So at first, when you hear that, like human sustainability, it sounds like so out there, but when you break down... It's so real and it's so true and it's so important. It's so important. And I, I mean, I, I think one of the, you know, potential, well, definitely one of the opportunities that we have now, when you were kind of talking about the emergence of like the internet and email and our ability to be connected from anywhere, regardless of whether that was bad or good, because we can debate that, you know, now we're kind of on the, you know, brink of, what is AI going to bring to the workplace? And I do think that a lot of what we hear is fear-based, right? That AI is going to take a whole bunch of jobs and jobs are going to be displaced, et cetera. 
And while I do think there's probably some truth to that, it's going to also create opportunity because that's the way it works. I mean, we thought that in many ways when we first started using technology in the workplace. The other thing that we thought when we first started using technology in the workplace was that we were going to be so much more efficient Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we were going to be so efficient that therefore we were going to finish all of our work by like three, four o'clock. We were going to be able to leave the office and we were going to have all this free time. And that did not happen. All that happened was that we got more work to do (laughs) and that we were connected 24 days. And I think that we also just created more work, Mm -hmm. right? Like whether it need to be done or created or not, like we got into this cycle of like creating more work, right? And so I do think that one of the really positive opportunities that we have with AI, if done correctly, and that's a big if, is that it will free, it should free up time, especially for certain kinds of workers, so that we can either engage in a different kind of work that is more meaningful human work, or that it actually just gives us more free time to live our lives, right? And so these are monumental shifts in terms of the way that we work or the way that we've always worked. And it starts with, you know, mindset, like we have to wrap our heads around this and what's this going to look like? And we have to trust each other. We have to trust our leaders and our organizations that making these shifts are going to be good for us and that we're going to be supported. And then our behavior around work has to change, right? Like those boundaries that you were talking about, like we all have to (laughs) get comfortable with, I mean, like, I don't know if you're like me, but you know, when I have some work days that are just a little bit slower and maybe I'm getting 75 emails and not 150, I'm like, wow, is there something going on? Did I do something wrong? Is some, you know, like, you know, like the anxiety comes up because we're so, like, we're, we're so addicted, right? Like we're so used to this like constant connection and the constant dings and pings and that makes us feel valued and needed. And a good majority of that time we're doing work that isn't valuable, <laughs> right? And isn't, making us feel better or isn't making us better humans or isn't, you know, we're not developing as a result of it, right? In a positive way. But yet, you know, when it's not happening, we're like, wait, there's something wrong. (laughs) Because we've kind of just become addicted to this, this rat race in this way that isn't sustainable, but it's also not terribly valuable to us as human beings. (laughs) No, a hundred percent. And that it's not even just that it's like, makes you feel valued. It makes you feel like, I don't even know how to explain it. It makes you feel like you're bored. Like there's something you should be doing. Like there's something wrong. Like you miss something like you, you, it's totally like you, something happened and you missed it or I don't, yeah, it's like a, it's this weird feeling. I I don't know, like your computer. (laughs) Great point. Like we're so bad at being bored, right? Like the first thing you do when you feel bored is what you pick up your phone and you start scrolling through social media, right? Because we have lost our ability to do nothing and be okay with it. Yet when we do nothing, there's a lot of positive that comes from that. Right. But now we get into like, oh, that's lazy. Or, you know, like we've gotten into such a place where like, if you're actually doing nothing, we don't see that as productive, but yet it's actually in many ways, a very productive thing to do. And I do think some of the fascinating trends, I don't know if you tune into them, but they come across my world a lot is like, now we have like 
you know, lazy girl jobs and things like that. (laughs) Right. And it's kind of this resetting of the expectations or the sentiment of the workforce. I don't know why it's only girls because it's not, (laughs) but that, you know, I mean, I, I know why it came up on TikTok that way, but you know, it's this resetting of the workforce saying that I want a good job that's reasonable, that pays me a reasonable, livable wage, but that, you know, technically that I kind of work hours from nine to five or nine to six that are very predictable because I have a life (laughs) and I want work to be a meaningful part of that life, but I don't want it to consume me. Right. But somehow we've even tagged that as being lazy. And I don't think that's lazy. I think it's just reasonable, (laughs) reasonable. And it's, impactful and it's important to the way you want to live your life. And I would take it one step further, which is, I mean, my mantra is that in order to be healthy, you know, you have to look at your whole body. I mean, and that's sustainability, right? So we're talking about our, you know, our mind, body, and our soul. So our mental well-being, our physical well-being, our emotional well-being. And for women in particular, which is obviously my focus is, you know, we have to know our bodies and we have to be really in touch with our normal and what feels right. And when we're outside of that and to be able to have the, the confidence and the wherewithal to speak up for ourselves and say, something's wrong here and take, you know, right now we're in October, it's breast cancer awareness month, say something's going on and, you know, find the appropriate doctor, find the appropriate person and be our own best advocate. And so if we're working to, you know, the max, 24 hours a day or 20 hours a day, that ability is totally, is the first thing that goes out the door. You have completely lost focus on yourself and the absolute ability to pinpoint, forget about what's outside your norm, but what is your norm? So if you are running yourself into the ground every single day, you have no idea what, how you're supposed to feel, how your body is supposed to run. Literally, how many hours your body needs to sleep to feel good, how you should be looking, what your skin should look like, what your hair should look like, how your bodily functions should run, like how often every day you should be pooping, like literally down to that. And so you have lost that. And if you lose that, you have no chance to understand when you're outside of that. And you've then lost the chance to understand what's going on when you get sick and sick from the flu, from COVID to the worst case scenario to cancer. So that to me is what, you know, troubles me the most about men and women. And of course I'm focused on women of, you know, living and working this way of just racing themselves into the dirt. And I think it's people like you and the jobs that you're, you know, the roles that you're filling that are just to say it's important is like minimizing it. It's, it's so necessary, you know, because I think yeah. we became so as a society and as a workplace, and especially in a lot of ways in women trying to keep, you know, get into that and not just keep yeah. up, but like, you know, jam ourselves into the mix. We've just forgotten that something gives and what gives yeah. is our ability to take care of ourselves. You know, my history with breast cancer yeah. and what you were describing was, you know, before my diagnosis, you know, I experienced burnout. And so that's the way I was living my life. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I, people, I tell people like I prided myself on getting to the gym an hour a day 
And, you know, like I had this view, well, like, okay, I worked out for an hour. That's, you know, that's really good because most people don't even do that. But that meant, you know, most days I was sleeping three or four hours and probably the other times mostly was consumed with work and probably some other things going on in my life. I needed to go to the grocery store, like that kind of stuff. Right. But in large part, I was always connected. And I'm even to the point where like, you know, I would wake up in the middle of the night and check my phone and my husband would be like, you know, I can see the light on your phone. (laughs) Like you're not fooling anyone. And, but what did I think was going to happen at two o'clock in the morning that I had to respond to like in that moment. And I do believe that like the way that I was living my life, my experience with burnout, the significant amount of chronic stress that in large part I was responsible for. Like I was the one making those decisions or believing that success was defined by ultimately like me just running everything into the ground. Like I thought that that was the way to success. Right. But really for me, I think it was the way to breast cancer. Like I, outside of any other reason that the medical community could give me for why I got breast cancer. And there's, you know, tons of unknowns, right. That's just the way cancer is. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the way I was living my life, the amount of stress that I put myself under and that the system in many ways rewarded me for, (laughs) right? I mean, we, we reward for those types of behaviors. We celebrate the person that stays up all night to get a project done. You know, those types of things, you know, when we're running so hard physically and mentally, I strongly believe that, unfortunately, I think that's the reason why we're seeing so much more cancer diagnoses, especially breast cancer diagnoses in young women. I mean, when I was diagnosed at 40, I thought I was young and incapable of dealing with it. And now I know so many women in their 20s and especially in their 30s and, you know, outside of like the air that we're breathing and the chemicals that are in our food and in our products. And which I think have, I personally think have a big, a big impact on some of the cancer rates, but I also think it's the way we're living our life and the amount of chronic stress that we don't even sometimes know that we're carrying around because we've been carrying it for so long. We just believe that that's the way that it is. (laughs) So, I mean, I felt like you were telling my story when you were saying that. No, I know. I remember. (laughs) And I mean, we talked about it. And I also think there's this, you know, without getting too much off topic, but there's this idea of shortcuts too. And so you're trying so hard to do everything right. And to, to do it all and to to be superwoman and to be this like, you know, this, this superhuman person who can stay up for, for basically 24 hours and, and right. work at all hours and work out and have this like perfect physique and wear these, you know, look great and look perfect in the morning when you go to work and who's already worked out for an hour and, and you know, and then there's these products on the market now that cover everything. So there's a supplement for everything and yeah. you're taking them. You have no idea what you're putting into your body. You know, it's like my, as my 17 year old told me the other day, he's like, I've done the research. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know? you know yeah. Who sponsored the research? <laughs> I'm just talking to some guy in a gym. Like, what are you talking about? You know, you have no idea for every reaction. There's an opposite and equal reaction. Like absolutely not. So it's just this, this mindset of, I must do this. I must get it all done. And it starts, you know, by building these habits so young and so 
this is like, I must do it at all costs and, mm-hmm. and be at this level and operate at this level. It's, it's very toxic and it's, it's very unsustainable and it's, it's really nerve wracking, I would say. And yeah. I think that really taking a, a deep breath and stepping back and saying everyone works differently and everyone has a different, a different sort of power mode and how we get stuff done and, and it's okay. And saying that, you know, I remember when I, when I don't go into an office anymore, I work from home all the time. I have for many, many, many years, but when I did in my twenties, I mean, I've always been the person who sat down and got my work done. That's just who I am. And I remember being in an office and I was done. I was done at like three o'clock and I was more than done. I had done stuff for the next day and I could have sat there for three more hours and done more stuff, but I was done. And there were women and men in my office who never got anything done. You know, the hours they spent at the office talking and schmoozing. And and by the way, it was the 90s, early 2000s, smoking and hanging out, (laughs) you know, taking long breaks and chatting in the hallways. And I remember thinking, why am I sitting here when I like have to stay until a certain time of day when they're not doing anything? And I just was like so annoyed, (laughs) you know? And I thought I could go home and finish or I could just leave but I didn't want to because I thought I would get like, you know, I'd have repercussions if I did and I'd be thought of as lazy and I didn't work as hard. Yeah. I didn't work as long hours. And I really remember thinking, and I was young, I was like 23 years old of, you know, why is it like this? Why do we all have the same protocols when we all work so differently? And there's nothing I could do about it. I was so junior, but I think it's just such a important and meaningful role that you have and hopefully, you know, deep shift in the workplace to acknowledge, you know, the differences in the way people work, the way people need to work. And this great thing that did come out of COVID, I think, which is that some people work best from home and some people do better in that space and dependent on what type of work they do a lot of it. I know in my husband's company, his tech guys work better from home. There's no reason for them to come into the office. It's distracting. They are much better at home. And he honors that, you know, he's like, don't come in. Yeah. There's not a one size fits all anymore because it never was a one size fits all. We just forced it. (laughs) We forced it. And now we have the technology to allow for that. And I do believe we have a lot of the, the modalities to help people become their best selves and to honor their best selves and how, what they need, whether it be different therapies and different ways of of talking and figuring out like, you know, how they can be sustainable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another component of that, I mean, I do believe that in the workplace, you know, there is, and will always be a need for like real life in-person connection because that's what we need as human beings, right? Like that is how we feel connected. And that is how we feel of a sense of, you know, we feel like we belong, right? We're accepted for who we are and what we bring, all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that everybody needs to go into the office. And if people go to the office, then what we go to the office for needs to change, right? If we choose to go to the office and sit and work, that's one thing. If we're being mandated to go back to the office to just sit in our spaces and work like we could from home or from anywhere, quite frankly, (laughs) then that's not a good use of the office, right? Like the office or gathering should be for unique 
you know, bespoke in person, like relationship building and belonging and connection, right? And we don't necessarily get that when we just go and we unplug our laptops from home, we get in the car or the bus or the train or whatever, right? And that comes with, I mean, part of human sustainability is also the wear and tear on us as humans, right? Like, you know, the people that sit in traffic or that commute for two hours each way, like that is not a really good strategy for anybody. You know, the same thing with like, (laughs) it's not a good use of time, but also that means you're sitting without moving for like, if you're for four hours a day, which we know the impacts that that has on our physical Mm -hmm. body, right? The research, the science is there as long as you believe in science, (laughs) right? Like we know, we know what that does to us, right? And so why would we mandate that, <laughs> right? Like we know what that does to somebody's health and well-being. Same thing with, I mean, maybe it's just that I'm older. I used to travel a lot more for work. Like travel is a lot harder on me physically and mentally, you know, post-COVID. And maybe it's because we got out of practice. But I think recognizing that, you know, people are like, oh, well, relationships can't be built you know, uh, digitally or, or, you know, remotely or what. And, and I push back on that. I believe that they can, right. I mean, dating apps work, right. Like people meet online and get married and have great relationships, right. Like we know that connection can happen in a virtual world. Now real in life connection has to happen also, right. It's a, it's an, and it's not an, or, but it's much more intentional, right? Like when you are building a relationship in a remote environment, you know, using technology tools, you do have to be more intentional because you don't run into each other in the hallway and you don't go out for a smoke or, you know, all of those things that used to happen. Right. But it doesn't mean that it can't happen. And I think that we need to stop saying that because I think that it can happen. Again, it just goes to what are we prioritizing? What are we rewarding? Like, what are the behaviors? Like what actually as humans helps us get good work done, (laughs) right? And having strong relationships with the people that we work with is very important. That can be done virtually. It can be done in person and it should be some combination of the two, but there's no one size fits all and there's no prescription for every organization or even every team within an organization needs to do it one way. It just, to your point about the tech guys, right? Like it depends on the work that you're doing, (laughs) you know? And so I think we need to recognize that as organizations, as leaders, as humans, that a lot of these things like commute times and travel and not that they're not needed sometimes, but are they needed in the same exact way that we were doing before? Or is there a recognition that no, that's not sustain it's not healthy it's not sustainable and there are better ways and we can adopt better ways to do these things yeah travel is exhausting i mean it really (laughs) it really is and and it's not just the being there it's the getting there it's the time change it's the getting home i mean it's really exhausting and i i agree that it's it's often necessary but it has to be intentional and it can be a mixture and i think that that's um, 100 i do think that's a really important point and i think that hopefully lesson was learned post COVID where you figured out that you could travel still, but perhaps it was in tandem with, you know, setting this groundwork, figuring it out, making the relationships. And then, then someone got on a plane, you know, at that moment that it was necessary, you know, at the third or fourth meeting, not all the meetings, all the meetings. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point too. Like I think of area that is really ripe for disruption is meetings, (laughs) period, across the board. You know, it's like we, 
you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you've read the kind of the research, but, you know, there's a lot of research out about, you know, like the triple peak work day. And this gets to kind of that like never ending grind culture of like, you know, people that work, especially remotely, but generally, you know, they spend all day in meetings. So say seven, eight hours in meetings, you know, then you spend a portion of your you know late afternoon, early evening doing things in your personal life that matter to you, whether they're for you or your family or whatnot, you know, whatever it is. And then most people end up logging on later at night at like nine or 10 o'clock at night because they didn't get to get any of their work done during the day because they spent all t- all day during, you know, in, in meetings. Right. And so there's these, there's no real like downtime, like it's just constant peaks during yeah. the day. Right. Because you're always on. And that's part of what is leading to a lot of the kind of the overwhelm and overwork and burnout that we're seeing, right? And so I think we need to rethink what are we having meetings for? Who are we inviting? Who needs to really be there versus it's just easy to invite everybody because we have technology that allows us to easily put 19 people's names in when we only, you know, when most of the 19 are probably multitasking and four people are doing all the talking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And maybe not everyone's even videos on. I'm a very close friend of mine, a family friend, he's a very high powered founder and CEO of a, a major fund. And his rule is all his board meetings are done in person standing up. I love that because that shortens them. <laughs> he's like, you know, nobody wants to stand up for two hours. So, you know, yeah. and they always happen. He's like, and they're old now. They're older men now. <laughs> Most of them are men. Yeah. It's like they're older guys. And no one wants to stand up. So they're in and they're out. You know, it's like. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Although I do stand most of the day, so I'd probably be okay with that. Yeah. But I, I love I love the I sentiment behind that. someone drone on, you're like, I don't want to stand. Yeah. You're listening to this guy chat totally. and, and repeat the guy before. You know, you know that's like not that's not good well and that's why with virtual meetings right you know 60 70 percent of the people are multitasking if not more right it's the people that are actually doing the talking that aren't multitasking and sometimes i think the people that are talking are still multitasking well, of course. <laughs> not, not listening to the person before them it's like right like, really yeah. dude you're just chatting there's just a lot of opportunity. I think it's really exciting because I think there's a lot of opportunity to do things differently in a way that is a lot healthier, in a way that is a lot more sustainable, and that really does allow humans to be humans at work and in life, right? Like we we need to get away from this, you know, battle between you know work and life and realize that we're humans and we have one life and meaningful work is part of that, but it's not all of it. I agree. And thank you so much. And I think it's such a poignant time to be able to talk to you again. And I know that this time of the year and this month is really meaningful to you and meaningful to me. I did have my mammogram and ultrasound yesterday, all clear for another year. So we're good. Good, good, good. good. And be healthy and take care of your body. And I'm really happy to speak to you as always. This was wonderful. And the work that you do is so important, so important to for everybody. And obviously so important for women, you know, and just knowing, like you said, I think, you know, it's like mattress companies who say you spend, what is it, you know, 50, 70% of our life laying down in our beds. We spend 70% of our time at work, 50% of our time at work. So that is our life. So it should be time well spent and healthy time. And I think it it needs to be, I mean, sometimes it's grinding, yes. And sometimes it's kind of boring, but, but really the majority of the time it should be 
well spent and uplifting and healthy and exciting and motivating. So, you know, it's people like you, Jen, who are making it that way. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's always great to talk to you. So thanks for having me back on the show. 